But that is me, that's my wife, Emma. We both went to Clemson. We both were pretty involved with Clemson FCA. Um, I graduated in 2018, degree in financial management. Any finance people? Is that a major here? Can you do that? All right, okay. There you go. Good for you. And my wife, uh, she was elementary ed. Any elementary ed majors? Is that a thing here? No one? Wow. Good luck to the future students. Um, <laughs> So she's asleep right now. That's your life if you're an elementary ed teacher. She's asleep, and so she's not here with me tonight. Um, but yes, that's a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in Greenville. I went to First Pres literally my entire life. Uh, my great-grandfather was an elder at First Pres. My family's been there for as, as far back as we've been in Greenville, basically. And so I grew up in Greenville. actually came to a lot of um, Furman sports camps growing up. I went to like the basketball one, the football one, the baseball one. I loved Furman, always did. Uh, and, and I still love to say it's beautiful. I ride my bike sometimes through here. Do y'all like hate that, that you yes. can do that? Yeah, yeah. You, you hate me already. It's just bad for his impression. But so I ride my bike through here sometimes. Um, and one time I was riding through, and this is something that I really uh, maybe enjoy, maybe question about Furman. I was riding through late August this year, and I kind of come through the, what's that, promenade? Is that what you call that thing? I don't know, the big straight road. And I was, I was driving, and there were these signs that were advertising, I assume, a football game that I assume was at night. And as I like feel nervous even saying this, but like as I was driving by, I was like, come join this football game. It was like the hashtag was, I, I feel nervous, I'm going to get kicked out saying this. But the hashtag was like, F you after dark. And I'm like, who? How can this be approved? Like, who approved this? So I, I guess I, I don't know if I respect that, but like, if you're on the committee that approves that, please, let's talk after this. I just, I, I was like, how is this a thing? So that's all I know really about Furman, is you have really questionable advertising. But effective, because I remembered it. And I went home thinking, well, what? Um, so anyways, that's a little me, my history with Furman. Um, if you were not here uh, last week, that is totally okay. My brother-in-law is not anymore. My brother-in-law uh, spoke and he talked a little bit about who do we date. And so if you weren't here last week, welcome to a two-part series. And this is the second part of that. So we talked about who do we date. And then this week, I'm going to talk about how do we date. So hopefully get into some practical things, things that will help you as you try and figure out what does it look like to love Jesus in a relationship, whether you're in one now, you're going to be in one, you have been in one, it went great, it went terrible, whatever it was, I hope uh, to help you. But before we get into that, I would love, Glenn talked about this a little bit last week time on the top, and I would love to do the same. It is, I want to talk about this. Our Christian culture right now has overemphasized the importance of marriage. It's like overemphasized the weight of marriage, so much so that if you're not married or you're not dating, then sometimes we can think of ourselves as second-class Christians. That because we're single, because we're not married one day, or because we don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend right now, we are second-class Christians. And what I'm here to tell you tonight, first and foremost, is that is not true at all. God does not use you any more or less because you are or are not married. And in fact, what's interesting, if we were to go back, for all of you history people, if we were to go back to the early church, they also had a problem with this, but it was the other way around. So they overemphasized celibacy, meaning not getting married. It's like for them back then, it was like, not, it was considered better to not be married. And so all throughout the church's history, we've struggled to find the middle ground, which is where the Bible lands, that whether you're married or whether you're not married, it does not change the fact that Jesus loves you. It does not change the fact that you're supposed to be a person being transformed by Jesus and in turn transforming 
the, the places that you find yourself on your sports teams or your classes or your dorms or wherever it, wherever it is. And so if you are single right now, the most important thing I want you to hear is that like that is okay. And I know we live in a, a Christian culture that, that obsesses over finding the perfect husband, the perfect wife, whatever it is. But I want to tell you, it is okay to be single. And that God, if you look through history, has used just as many, if not more, single people to impact the world as he has married people. And so I just want to communicate that very clearly from the top, that, that singleness is okay. Now, I was asked to come talk about dating. So that's what we're talking about tonight. And so if you are single, this may impact you in the future. If you are dating, my hope is that this will impact you uh, now. Or if you have had a relationship in the past, maybe you can kind of look back and see, okay, what are some things that maybe we could have done differently, something like that. Um, so a little bit about myself as far as why I actually do feel somewhat qualified to speak on the topic of dating. So I already showed you my wife, Emma. Um, I met her on a mission trip. I was going into my 10th grade year at Greenville High, which is a school downtown, and she was going into her 8th grade year at Greenville Middle. And uh, so we met on a mission trip, and we started talking like the spring of that next year. And look, I know it sounds weird. It was weird, okay? It just was. I own it. We got married. You would not believe the jokes that like my friends would say that her older sister was like still in the womb. She was so young. Like it was bad. I got I got totally roasted for it. And that picture, put that picture right up. So this is me actually and my wife Emma. This is like one of our first photos we ever took. I was repping a firm football shirt. I was like five, six, 110 pounds, may have been being recruited, I don't know. But this is me, uh, clearly it's in style to wear undershirts, under your t-shirts, very cool thing back then apparently, I was doing it. Um, so that's us kind of at our early point, and I just wanted to tell you that, one, to be honest with you about, it was weird. But two, we dated uh, for six years before we got engaged. Six years, so from my sophomore year until right towards the end of college, we dated and we were engaged for 13 months. Got married May 24th of 2019, so like three and a half-ish years now. And so I, I want to tell you this, one, just to let you know, I was, it was a dark time in my life, but two, to let you know, like I've been through it. I get it. I dated for six years. I know the struggles that come out of dating. I, I dated uh, poorly for six years. A lot of it, I, we struggle to figure out how do we communicate to one another? How do we effectively understand each other's different expectations that we bring to the table from our families? All of this stuff, trying to figure out how do we remain pure sexually? All of this stuff we felt like we struggled with for six years, and then we got engaged, and all of a sudden people were like, oh, here's how you have a relationship. And they started helping us, and they started giving us books and, and telling us what it looks like to actually communicate and all that stuff. And all through dating, as we look back, we said, we wish that someone would have actually given us some helpful things to date well. That, we, that they didn't just wait until we got married to tell us how to actually have a relationship. And so I'm passionate about this in particular because I was in it for six years and I get the issues that you're facing and I struggle with some of the same stuff you're struggling with. And so if you're in this room and you're thinking, I just want some helpful tools for one day or for right now, that is my goal tonight. My goal is not to try to impress you. My goal is not to make you feel good or to make you feel bad. My goal is that Jesus would use his word and, and my words in order to genuinely help you love Jesus better and in turn love the person in your life that God has given you either now or later if he does um, to, to love them well. And so that's my, that's my hope for tonight. And I just want to be straight up honest about that, that this is something that I am passionate about. And so let's go ahead and jump into scripture. If you have a Bible, we are going to be in uh, Romans chapter 12. 
If you do not have a Bible, that's okay. I think we're going to have it on the screen uh, behind us. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. As you flip there, or as they flip to the correct screen, let me give you some context um, on the book of Romans. So Romans is written by this guy, the Apostle Paul, who was one of the, the greatest missionaries, the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, including the book of Romans, which he wrote to the church in Rome. How did you know? Good. All right, so he wrote this to the church in Rome, which is the early church at the time. And uh, so chapters 1 through 11, 1 through 11, are kind of Paul laying out God's redemptive plan throughout history. And so it, it, talk, it talks about the issue of sin. It talks about the issue of God's wrath facing the sin. It talks about the beauty of God's mercy within that, that he, he loved us so much that he had a plan from before the foundations of the world in order to save us and love us and bring us into community. He talks about that this isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. This is for the entire world. And then in, in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, therefore. And so it's a huge turning point in the book. He says, therefore... In view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, I urge you to live your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And so there's this moment that happens in chapter 12, where we're about to pick up, that he switches from the story, the redemptive story of history, into now that we know we're the redeemed people of God, how do we live as the redeemed people of God? And so Paul gets very practical, and that's my hope for us tonight. So if you're in uh, Romans chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 9, if you're there. It says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to every aspect of our lives, from dating relationships to the school that we're doing each day to the studying we're trying to make and the good grades and the careers we're going to have one day. All of it is spoken to by your word. And so tonight I pray that um, this would be helpful. I pray that you would equip us in order to love, not just in dating relationships well, but love friends well. And to love the, the person who sits beside us in math class well and, and to honor them and, and to respect them and, and um, to show them who you are and, and that you're beautiful and that you are worth following. Um, so be with us now, Jesus. is in we pray. Amen. I said, believe it or not, I think the verses we just read have a lot to do with dating. Now, you might say, that's not what he's talking about here, and I would agree with you. He's not talking about dating. Dating wasn't a thing yet, as Glenn talked about last week. He's not even talking about marriage in this context. What he is talking about is what it looks like to love other people. Like how we're supposed to live as the redeemed people of God who he's using to transform the world. He's speaking to this is how we live. And I think what we can do is when we come to dating, no, it's not in scripture anywhere. You, you can't find it in there. But what is in there is simple steps of how to love people. And when we start there and, and find dating on the other side of God's commands to love people and to serve people and to honor people, I think we get a lot of fruit um, from this. And so I have four points tonight, and we're going to kind of run through them. But four things that we need to pursue if we are going to date well, and they are this. They're purity, clarity, graciousness, and community. If it bothers you that the graciousness doesn't have an itty on the end, I sincerely apologize. I tried, and there's not anything. So purity, clarity, graciousness, 
and community. We're going to look at this text that we have in front of us, particularly verses 9 and 10, and we are going to try and see where are these four things in this text and how do we live out in our lives. So, so let's, let's start with number one. Let's start with purity. Uh, Paul says, if our love is sincere, if it's genuine, then we will hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And so a good starting point for us would be to ask the question, okay, well, what is evil and what is good in God's eyes? If we're to hate this and, and cling to the other thing, then, then what is that in God's eyes? And Glenn talked about this a, a good amount last week, and I think it's so important that we're going to reiterate a lot of those same points, is this. We have to understand God's view and God's design, His perfect and good design for sex. That if we're going to understand what is good and what is evil so we can cling to what's good and we can hate what's evil, we have to understand God's good, beautiful, and perfect design for sex. So what is that design? It's laid out all through Scripture that God's design for sex was to be between one man and one woman in a lifelong, covenantal, committed relationship. That that's the, that's the design. That's the confines. Not because he's mean and doesn't want us to have fun, but because he loves us and knows that that's what's best. And so for us, as we kind of think of sex as just a purely uh, physical thing, we misunderstand it when, when we uh, simply make it a physical act. Because what happens when we have sex with someone, uh, what, what happens is we are connected to that person physically, emotionally, spiritually. Our, our lives become kind of interwoven with that person. And there's connection that's there. And, and that person on the other side has, has no commitment to you past that moment. And maybe you're dating, but they, they haven't committed to you anything other than that moment. And so that intertwining that happens, that deep connection that happens, you are giving your most vulnerable, intimate self to someone who doesn't owe you anything at the end of the day. And so God is trying to protect us. It's because he's good. It's because he's kind that he says, hey, I've created a good place for this to happen. I created sex as a good gift for you, but it's within the confines of someone who is fully committed to you until the day that both of you die that is, is where sex is good. And so the best illustration that I've heard of this is of a, of a fire. And, and so many of us would say fire is a good thing, right? Like fire, if you have a fireplace, anybody have like a fireplace in their house? My wife's so mad at me, we don't have one. And I had to schedule this guy to come fix it. It's so expensive. Anyways, so, so a, a fire in a fireplace is a really good thing. It provides warmth. It provides light. It heats the house. It can even like... Uh, help your family one day. Like, fire is a really good thing when it's in a fireplace. Is a fire a good thing if it's in your kitchen? No, I guess you could cook food with fire. It's a bad thing. <laughs> is fire a good thing if it's in your living room? Like, just on the floor? That's a terrible thing. Is fire good if it's in the attic? No. No, that's called your house is going to burn down. And so... So fire itself is a good thing, right? It is a good thing when it's put in a fireplace or used to cook food if we go that way. But fire is a good thing when it's in its proper place. But once you take it out of that place, fire becomes something that causes hurt and pain and destruction. And sex is the exact same way. Sex is a good gift created by God. And when it's, when it's done in the confines of how he designed it, it is a beautiful thing that brings warmth and vibrancy to a married relationship. It creates children for future generations. It is a good thing. But when sex is taken out of where God has created it to be, it can cause pain. It can cause hurt. It can cause confusion. 
So sex in and of itself is not a bad thing. But God, the one who created it, who designed it, gets to, gets to tell us where it is good. So the same way we don't want to fire in our attic. We, we don't want to have sex outside of marriage because it's, it's not good for us. And so that, that's one way where we're trying to learn, like, what is the good we're trying to cling to and what is the evil? And last week, Glenn talked a little bit about the importance of um, intention versus position. Do you remember him saying that? He talked about intention versus position. And I want to kind of further that idea. So if I were to come to you and I were to say, hey, look, I'm tired of eating crap. Like all I eat is fried chicken every day and burgers. And I'm just trying to make a change in my life so I can be a better human and not feel like I'm going to throw up most of the time. If I were to come to you and say that, and then the next day you call me and hey, where are you at? I was like, well, I need to do some homework. So I drove down to Hardee's. I'm going to do some homework here. It's a good place. Like, there's probably not Wi-Fi there. We got a hotspot anyway, so it's good. And so if I'm working at Hardee's, I have the best intentions. I am, I'm not going to eat that crap. Like, I know the thick burgers are back there, but I don't want to mess with them. All that stuff. What's going to happen to me eventually after I sit in Hardee's long enough? I'm going to eat a thick burger, right? It's just like what happens in Hardee's. That's what you do. And to say, like, my positioning was awful. My intentions were great. I didn't want to do it, but my positioning, I put myself in a place where people eat thick burgers, and that's what you do. And the same is true, like, when we go to, when we start thinking about sex and you're in this relationship, if you're pursuing purity and that's, like, your goal, you can't put yourselves in positions that are going to lead to, to impure. AKA laying in your boyfriend or girlfriend's dorm room at 1 a.m. watching a movie is not the best place to be if you're going to try to pursue purity. That's not hating evil and clinging to good. That's letting evil kind of hang around with you and keeping it a little bit on the side, but not really uh, all the way into it. No, no, no. Position is, is way more important than our intention. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And so it's God's good design, but it's within his confines, it's best. And then the last point I'm going to make on, on the sex piece is this. This is something that's impacted me lately. Um, this guy, John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York. You should really call it. He's great. Uh, but he talks about who are you becoming by your sexual habits? We don't think often in, that, in those terms, but who are you becoming through your sexual habits? Are they teaching you um, to value sacrifice in order to love someone better? Are they teaching you to forego the, the easy and what gives me pleasure right now in order to trust in the Lord for, for what's coming down the road? Or is it teaching me, hey, I want to get what's mine and I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm not going to fight for something I think is valuable. Instead, I'm just going to give in. Like these things, we're forming our minds in college. And so what, what, what you're doing sexually is going to impact you as you get married, as you go down the road. You are creating habits that your brain is learning. So, so who are you becoming as a result of your sexual habits? And so uh, as I kind of close out this point, I want to talk to you um, in the room who maybe you've already blown. Like maybe you feel that, hey, I already did it, and so what's the point? I already did it. Does that mean that God doesn't really love me, that I've gone too far, and so... God can't, can't love me or use me anymore. And I want to say that is not the case at all. In fact, what John Piper, who's a pastor, what, what he would argue is that Satan uses the guilt and shame of sexual sin more than anything to keep us from doing the mission God has put in our lives. And so do not, do not think for a second that because you've gone too far with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or with someone that you don't even know, that God can no longer use you. 
Because there is so much mercy in the eyes of God for you. There's so much love in the heart of God for you that he longs to have you back and, and for you to repent. And he is there waiting for you because he loves you. And so as I said, I dated Emma for six years, really seven, until we got married. And I know the fight. Trust me, I know the fight. And I know what it's like to win. And I know what it's like to lose and to slam your head to the pillow and think like, God, you, you will never love me. I get it. And I know the shame. But what I'm telling you is, one, it's worth the fight. It's worth the fight, I promise. And two, if you've already gone too far, you're not too far gone for the grace of God to bring you back home. And so if we're going to date well, we have to start by, pursu- by pursuing purity. That, that's, that looks like loving um, and, and or rather hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. So the second point. Um, second point is this. To date well, we must pursue clarity. To date well, we must pursue clarity. Now, where am I getting this in the text? Paul tells us to honor one another above ourselves. Honoring someone looks a lot like providing clarity on intentions. Do you know that somewhere between 70 and 80% of men and women say that they have either ghosted someone or been ghosted by someone? 70 to 80%. For those who aren't good at math, that's 7 to 8 people out of 10. That's like a lot of people in this room. Have ghosted someone or been ghosted by someone. Now, does that sound like honoring someone to ghost them? No is the answer to that. Does it not sound like honoring someone to ghost them? I mean, we should clarify that. Uh, but, but no, like ghosting someone is the easy way out, right? Hey, it didn't work, and so I'm just going to leave you on red, and I'm never going to speak to you again, and hopefully I don't run into you on campus, because that would be awkward, right? No, that, that is the opposite of honoring someone above yourselves. What is honoring is to communicate with clarity your intentions, to, to communicate with clarity how things are going. Communicate with clarity, hey, look, I, I would love to take you on a coffee and just get to know you a little bit better. Communicating clearly looks like, hey, I really enjoyed that coffee. Let's go to dinner one time. I'd love to take you on a date. Hey, I really enjoyed these past few dates. I'd love to, to take this to another level and let's make this like official. I don't know how the words you do that to make it not cheesy, but at some point you got to do it, right? And so guys, I do think that the, the burden is on us here. I think it, it falls on us to provide clarity on our intentions. For, to, to provide clarity on where we see things going. And also, guys and girls on this one, if it's not working, honor that person by just being honest with them. Honor that person by saying, hey, look, you're, you're really great and everything, um, but I, I just don't think this is going to work out. Is that going to hurt them? Yes. You better believe it's going to hurt them. But is it going to hurt them worse than just dragging them along month after month after month and their hearts being confused and their brains trying to figure out what is happening? Does she like me? Does she not like me? It is way more kind and loving to someone to tell them the truth than to just simply drag them along. And so as you're taking these steps toward dating, which I think based off last week, most of us in the room are single. As you take these steps, uh, you have to communicate with so much clarity. That is how we honor one another. But once we're dating, the clarity doesn't end there. We don't just get a pass once we, once we start dating. Did you know? That how you were raised, the things that your mom and dad did, the TV shows that you watched where they're dancing in the kitchen, cleaning up after dinner, the Taylor Swift song that you've listened to, all of these things impact your expectations of what your boyfriend or girlfriend is going to do. Because it, it, it has. And whether you know it and are, re- are recognizing it, or whether you don't know it but are just unknowingly expecting it, 
we have all lived lives that have created these expectations of what someone else is going to do when they're our, boy, our boyfriend or our girlfriend. And down the road, when they're our husband and our wife. And I, I'll never forget, every Saturday at the Clemson football game, Emma, my wife, and I, we would get in huge fights. Because I had the intentions and expectations going in, Saturdays are for the boys. I'm going to hang out. And I'm there to hang out with my guys. Like, I, I don't get to hang out with them and chill much during the school week. You know, Clemson's really hard, probably harder than Furman. So, like, we had to, uh, I'm just kidding. Someone told me I'll have four credit hours of three. That's, like, unnecessary flex. I don't why did you have to do that? We have three credit hour classes. So, I, we're studying during the week. And I know we play Fortnite sometimes. It, it was cool back then. And I know we do that, but this is my day to hang out with my boys. Emma thought differently than that. Her expectations were, no, 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 no. Saturdays are when I get to see my family. Saturdays are when I get to catch up with friends I haven't seen in a long time and see these cousins and these family friends that I don't get to see except for Saturdays. And so that is, that is how I expect us to, to uh, do our Saturdays. And so what do you think happened every single Saturday? We did not have the same expectations going in. I never said what my expectations were. She never said what her expectations were. And then every Saturday, at the end of the day, we get in this huge fight because neither of us had our expectations met. Now, that could have been solved very easily. We could have had conversations on Friday night to say, hey, what, what are your expectations this weekend? Like, I, I know that I, I want to see my friends, but like, what would you like to do? And how can we kind of find some middle ground here? Maybe we can hang out with your family for a little bit, and then you can stay with them and, and have that time, and I can hang out with boys for a little bit. Whatever, whatever it is, how can we find middle ground? That would have saved us so much fighting if we could have just understood before major events, talk about what your expectations are. Before functions, before FCA, whatever it is, like talk about, hey, what are your expectations? Do you want to sit together, or do you want to just like hang out with our friends tonight? I know you're studying right now, but like, would it be cool if instead we kind of studied together? We don't have to talk much, or maybe we do want to talk. Understanding your expectations and communicating them will save you a lot of pain in your life, and specifically in your dating relationships, but also with your roommates and everything like that. Unsaid expectations are a recipe for disaster. And so if we're going to date well or be a good friend, we have to communicate with clarity. We have to pursue clarity. So that's point number two. Point number three it says, if we want to date well, we need to pursue graciousness. We need to pursue graciousness. We're drawing um, this from Paul's command to be devoted to one another in love. And so here's the reality. Every relationship in this room is going to end in one of two ways. You're either going to get married or you're going to break up. Every relationship you ever get into is going to fall into one of those categories. You're either going to get married and spend the rest of your life together or you're going to spend like six days or six years or six months, whatever, together. And so here's the challenge in that. The goal, whether it's 60 years or six hours from now, the goal is for each of you to love Jesus more after the relationship than before. The goal is for each of you to be closer to Jesus than before when you entered into that relationship. And so how do we do that? Like, what are some ways that we can show graciousness? A huge way is through how we handle conflict. Like I said, expectations are a huge source of conflict. But also, there's just a lot of stuff that happens when two broken people who are messed up and bring a lot of stress from college into a relationship, you're going to have conflict. And so a verse my parents made me um, memorize when I was a child is Proverbs 15.1. I think we have it on the screen. It says this. It says this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
Your goal in conflict, whether it's your girlfriend, boyfriend, or just a roommate, a friend, your goal is not to like, if, if they're here, your goal is not to try and one-up them and be like, oh, you think you're good here? I got 11. What do you think about that? Your goal instead is to try and figure out, all right, we're on the same team, right? We're on the same team. Neither of us want to be fighting. It's not enjoyable for a Friday night. Like, no, no one is enjoying this. Instead, what's my, what's my part in this? Maybe my part is when you lash out, I'm going to have a gentle answer instead. Instead of meeting you here, I'm maybe going to go here and trust that like the, the level of, of angst and frustration in the room is going to lower instead of rise. And so a gentle answer turns away wrath. But if you meet that with a harsh word, you're just going to further the issue. And so you have to be gracious, not only in conflict, but also just through life. Are you treating them with kindness? Are you showing them a good picture of Jesus? Or are you showing them a bad picture of Jesus? We have to pursue graciousness in every aspect of our relationship, um, whether it's conflict or whether it's friends or whatever it is. We have to be gracious. So we need to pursue graciousness. And the last thing is this. If we want to date well, we need to pursue community. I have a question. We already said he's, he's writing uh, to the church in Rome. Is he writing just to like one guy chilling out in the desert near Rome? No. He's writing, he's writing to a large group of believers. He has this underlying assumption as he's writing this that they're going to work this out in the group of, of other Christians. And so the worst thing you can do in a dating relationship is just completely isolate yourself and they be the only person you hang out with. They be the only person that you see. They be the only person you go to for advice. They be the, the only person in your life. That is the worst thing that you can do in a relationship. God has given you a gift in community and there's an expectation that all of our major life decisions and all the ways in which we're growing in the fruit of the Spirit is to be done with, with other believers like who are in this room. And so I had a friend, Jonah Giller, who's also a finance guy, and we met every week, I think it was on Tuesdays, we would meet at Raising Cane's. Y'all ever been there? I mean, it's like, wow. Okay, so they have it at Clemson. Do they have restaurants here? What do they do? Do they have restaurants? Just weird advertising. All right, so, so Raising Cane's is like, Zaxby's, but like the glorified version of Zaxby's, okay? And so we would go there every Tuesday, and he had a long-term relationship, I had a long-term relationship, and we would just talk about how it was going. We would talk about the struggles we were facing, we would talk about the doubts that we were having, we would talk about the wins that happened. We talked about, I, I remember vividly talking him off a cliff when he was, when he was thinking about breaking up with his friends. And, and I remember talking about the cliff, and then he returned the favor for me like three weeks later, and we were there for each other, and he didn't have these blinders on. I was in love with Emma, he was in love with Amelia, and so we couldn't see the full reality of things. But he could, and I could see in his relationship. And there was a gift that I got from letting others into my relationship that I could not have gotten if I was just trying to do this in isolation. And so God has given you a community of other believers who can see you and who can see the significant other in your life and tell you things if you will let them. And so uh, there's another proverb that talks about the importance of wise counsel. I think it's Proverbs 19. And it says this, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. The opposite of that would be if you isolate yourself and try and figure out everything, just you and your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you'll be counted among the foolish because you missed an opportunity. Not, not only to learn more about your relationship, but also this is a very unique time in your life. And, and there are friendships that, to be had here and memories to be made here. That all you're doing is hanging out with your significant other. You're missing out on that too. And so if you want to date well, it's not just about pursuing the other person. It's about 
together and individually pursuing community. So those are, those are the four points we have tonight. Uh, again, like I could talk for a long time about this because I lived it for six, seven years, and I know the issues you have. And so I'll, I'll hang out a little bit after. If you have questions, like practical or random questions, feel free um, to come and find me. But those are our four points, the, the four things. If we want to date well, like how do we date well? We pursue purity, clarity, graciousness, and community. And so I hope and I pray that that's somewhat helpful for you, either now or in the future when you, when you do have a relationship, to come back to and to memorize these Proverbs so that it's written on your heart and you can pull it up when conflict comes your way, which it will. You can have these tools, the scripture hidden on your heart in order to recite it. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship, I think, and then uh, we'll get out of here. So fire your heads with me. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, it equips us. I thank you for the beauty of who you are and your design. I pray for each man and woman in this room, whether they're in a relationship, um, whether they have been in a relationship that didn't go well. God, I just pray, one, that they would know your mercy and your grace for them. That they would know that you have invited them into your kingdom, into your people. And it's through them and through us on this campus, in our classrooms, in our dating relationships, that you are inviting us to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so I pray that this campus would be a better place because of Furman FCA. I pray that the relationships in this room would be a better place because of your word and your spirit working within them. I pray that this would be a place marked with humility and sincerity and love. They would honor one another, they'd be devoted to one another in love, but they would hate what is evil and cling to what's good. In this name we pray this. Amen. Amen.